Good morning. Everybody doing good? Speaking of live like you're loved, um, last night, some fathers and some greatly loved daughters uh, gathered for a very special event. Um, it was so cool. I got to be there. They all dressed up. It was a great venue, some great food. Um, I'm not going to say it was great dancing. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to lie to you, but there was a lot of dancing, and thank goodness that's not a requirement to have fun, um, but it was definitely um, a fun-filled night. It was so cool together. I, I was shocked by the emotion um, that I felt um, because so many memories came back from, from last night. Um, of taking my daughters. Now they're grown, but I, I had taken them to some of those events way back um, in the day. Uh, and, and I'm just glad it's back. I'm, I'm glad that those opportunities are back, and, and, I, and I'm hoping that we can keep it rolling. Um, I had the chance to share a little bit last night, and, and uh, Whitney, my oldest, and Taylor shared a little bit last night. It was just, just really, really cool. And in fact, um, um, after my, my, my daughter, Whitney, actually gave me um, an early birthday present. Now, do you like the way that I worked in the fact that it's almost my birthday? It's a very humbling, <laughs> it's a very humbling yet strategic way to tell you that it's almost my birthday, all right? Um, but she gave me uh, a shirt, and I, I think it was very appropriate in honor of last night because the first word's great, second word's dad, right? It actually says great dads get promoted to Papa. How cool is that? <clears throat> is this going to bother you if I preach with this on? Is it going to bother you? Is it going to distract you because you're constantly going to be focused on this great rejoicing fact in, in, uh, in our life. No, we're really excited. Part of me wants to go, how did that happen? But I know how it happened. But the real question <laughs> is more of how, when did I get this old? That I can have babies that can have babies. And uh, the answer is now, right? Now it, it is, it is officially arrived. Um, we really are excited about that. Enough about me. Um, Let's talk about you, because the rest of what I've got to share today, I've got it all figured out. So I'm just going to you know, throw it your way. If you can't tell, the sarcasm meter is high today because I'm joyful, all right? So the, the sarcasm tends to flow. I, I want us to talk a little bit more today about what it means to live like you're loved. What does it mean to live like you're loved? For a, a month and a half now, we've been searching the question, what's our why? Why do we do what we do? And the answer comes back. It's because we are loved by Jesus. So if that's true... Then the next question that follows is, what does it mean then to live, if that's true, to live like you're loved? And last week, we learned that it begins with prayer. It begins with prayer. And it's funny because nobody gets too excited about that, but we would if we actually understood um, the, the, the significance of prayer. Uh, God, change me. God, show me. God, use me. God, nothing of eternal difference is going to happen in anybody's life unless it comes from you. God, I'm not going to give anybody anything of eternal hope if it doesn't come from you. And so it starts with prayer. And today, I want to draw 
your attention to something that's in your, your, the latest that you got when you came in today. So everybody go after that. And if you didn't get one, I want to encourage you to get one when you leave today. If there's any of them left, I want you to, to get one of these because it's about prayer. And, and I want to give you somewhere to go with this thing, um, not just talk about it a week or two. Anybody know? It's not far from Easter. You realize that? Isn't that crazy? By the time we meet again next week, February is gone. That's just crazy, right? But um, I want to give you an opportunity that from now, really, we're going to say March the 1st, which happens this week, all the way to Easter, to give you an opportunity to really zero in on um, prayer and actually just zeroing in on Jesus. Now, um, some of you, some of you grew up observing Lent, right? Anybody familiar? Anybody know what I'm talking about when I say Lent? Yeah, some, some, yeah. Some of you grew up observing Lent. Lent originally comes from a, a, a Latin word that simply means spring season. That's what it means. I took four years of Latin for this moment, all right? It's, actually, it's the second time I've used it in my whole lifetime. It's what you get when it's a dead language, all right? But Lent is a Latin word, comes from a Latin word that actually means spring season. But over the years, it became associated with this period of time, 40 days, in fact, before Easter, where for a lot of people, it's about giving something up, all right? And, and it's kind of framed in the context of the sacrifice that Jesus made, and so people make sacrifices, and it, but usually it's framed like this, what are you going to give up during Lent in order to get Jesus to love you more? It really is. Sometimes that's kind of the vibe that people have. What am I going to give up in order to get, people, to, in order to get Jesus to love me more? And I want you to know you don't need to do that, because that's not how he loves now, he may want you to give up some things, but it's because those things are hurting you, not because if you give them up, he will love you more. He already loves to the fullest. That's how God loves. He doesn't play the conditional game like we tend to play. However, it really is a cool time that there really might be, it's an opportunity that for some folks, you might need to give something up because it's hurting you. And what a cool moment to go, okay, for the next 40 days, I'm, I want this to be removed from my life because it doesn't need to be there. And instead, I'm going to focus on Jesus. All right? Now, sometimes folks will give up things that aren't necessarily bad. They'll just give up something. But again, the point is not to get Jesus to love you more. The point is I'm going to give up doing this. Maybe it's a time frame of, you know, it takes you a certain amount of time to do that or whatever. And instead, I'm going to focus on Jesus. That's the point. Some of you may want to approach this. You're not giving up anything. That's cool. You're holy, right? You're holy. You got it. You got it. I'm, I'm just sort of joking. I, I'm saying there may not be like any sin you need to give up, and you may not even want to say I'm, I'm giving up something. The point of it is still in this 40 days that our hearts would be turned toward the one who gave everything for us. There is nothing wrong with doing that. Agreed? Nothing wrong with doing that whatsoever. And so here's the plan. Um, um, this is something you can put in your Bible, you can put on your fridge, you can put wherever. I think we're also going to post it on um, my Facebook page, so every morning you could get it that way to where you could get the references for each day. And you'll notice 
we got day one through day 47, and you're like, I thought it was 40 days. Well, Sundays don't count. That's how Lent gets measured. It's 40 days, not counting Sundays. So depending on when Easter falls, okay, that's how you get the number of days. So you'll notice at the very top it says readings and personal prayer. One, one a day, okay, so you pick one a day, read it, and then reflect on it. It's like, what does reflect mean? Think about it. Just take some time to think about it. Don't just read through it so you can check your box, but think about what it's, think about what it's saying. You may want to highlight certain words. You may want to grab some certain phrases that are, that are you know, grabbing you, and, and you may want to go back and look some things up, but reflect on it. Then journal. Don't freak out over journaling. Maybe it's one or two lines, but just write something down every day. You'll be surprised the difference that it makes. Write something down every day about what you're reading and what you're hearing. And then pray. Spend some time talking to God about it. And then the last statement says what? Anybody read it? Then sit with Jesus in silence. Now, I'm just telling you up front, this is the one that's going to freak you out in the beginning. You know why? Because most people don't do it. We talk about communicating with God. We do a lot of reading his word, which is perfect because you know that's his word, all right? So he's speaking to you. We do a lot of asking, but we're just not that great at listening. So I'm going to warn you that if you've never done that before, the first time you do it, you're going to be sitting there going, what am I waiting for? This is weird. Probably the second time you may feel that way, but I promise you, if you will stay with it, you will be amazed at what that little discipline will begin to do in your life. So how about for just 47 days? We go after this together. And we don't just say we are a people who pray. Let's become a people who pray. If you're going to give some things up, cool. Just remember, it's not to get him to love you more. It's because he already loves you if he's calling you to give some things up. If you're not giving anything up, cool. It's about him. It's about him. The reason that we struggle with that sometimes really is because we're not great at listening Which brings us to step number two that we want to talk about today. In order to live like you're loved, it's listening to needs. If you're going to live like you're loved, then you will listen to needs. And I'm referring to needs of others. All right? Now let me frame it this way. When you pray, who are you declaring you're depending on who are you putting first? God. That's humility. When you listen to the needs of others, who are you putting first? Them. It's a picture of humility. And I'm saying when you live, when you really live like you're loved, you can live in humility. You don't have to always walk around proving how good you are. You don't always have to walk around proving that your needs come first. You you don't have to prove how great you are. Your heart will change, and you really will, as you depend on God, you will begin to put the priority of others in front. Let me show you an example of listening to the needs. Uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 16. This is the Apostle Paul. He's in a place called Athens. Look at at how it starts. I'm just going to read part of the part of the story. Acts 17, 16. 
while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. The city was full of idols. Now, our city's full of idols, too, all right? We're just kind of crafty in how we, we shape our idols. We, you know, we, we, we drive them and live in them and date them and that kind of stuff. But, but he's talking about literally idols in a city that, you know, maybe they're made out of stone. Some of them are made out of mud that are, you know, formed into, into some sort of, a, of, of, a, of a, a place where sacrifices could be made. And some of you have traveled to some places in the world where you have seen it. And it breaks your heart when you see it. It breaks your heart when you see it. Because sometimes you're looking at people who are very poor. And they are taking what I would say is food that God has given them to keep them alive. And they will sacrifice it on the altar to a false God. And it's the moment where my heart gets angry. I get angry at an enemy who, it's true, he really loves to destroy people and he really does blind the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the truth of who Jesus is. It makes me angry when I see that stuff. The guilt and the shame and just the pain that's involved in that non, that never ending, have I done enough? It's like, all right, how's Paul going to handle this? Verse 22, let's skip to verse 22. Paul then stood up in a meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant. Now, I don't, he's not calling him ignorant like we call each other ignorant. It's just the phrasing of the Bible going, what you don't know. All right, so what you don't know of the very thing you worship, this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Here's what I find interesting. Paul didn't slam them because of their idol worship. He, He didn't slam them because of all that he sees going on. He starts by identifying with them. And in order to do that, you gotta listen. We're told in the text he begins to have conversations daily with them. What is their view of the world? How how do they think? Who do they trust? How do I get into this world? And suddenly, Paul sees this image to an unknown God. What were they doing? They had thousands and thousands and thousands of idols, but they were so afraid that maybe they missed one. That they literally made an idol to an unknown God, because they didn't know who he is. It's like, whoever you are, we don't know you, but we're not trying to offend you. Don't mess with us. And Paul jumps all over that. And he says, this one that you don't know, I'd like to introduce you. And he talks to them about the one true God. He talks to them about Jesus. See, Paul models how to listen for common ground. How to listen for common ground. Many of you know what it says in James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. What's the next word? What is it? Everyone. 
everyone. You're like, no, I got this. No, everyone. Everyone. Here's what you need to know. You should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Quick to listen and slow to speak. And slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now here's what we learned last week. When we begin to pray, we become instruments of God's righteousness. Remember that? We read it. It was kind of a weird phrasing. It's like, what what does that mean? It means sometimes God ends up using you to bring about some justice in this world that is just chaotic. Sometimes he uses your life to bring about a rightness in a situation. Well, he's saying if you're angry and most, is there anger that's right? Yes, there is. Righteous anger. That's the way God is angry. Can I tell you, be careful about your anger because most of the time, our anger is not righteous. Can it be? Yes. But it will never be if you are always quick to speak and slow to listen. How do you you make sure that your anger stays where it needs to stay? It is quick to listen slow to speak. The Old Testament says something similar, just a little more uh, kind of pointed. To an- it says in Proverbs eighteen thirteen, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Let me translate. That's stupid. <laughs> to answer before you listen? It's like, who would do that? Like I said, I'm glad I got this together, but I hope you guys are listening, all right? So what are some obstacles to listening. Real quick, I'm going to run through these. A lot of us don't listen because of prejudgment. Prejudgment. We really think we already know what the other person is going to say. We do. We make assumptions. We size them up before we hear them out. And we all tend to have some level of guilt on this. Uh, Psychology calls it the attribution theory, which simply means you attribute motives, you attribute values, you attribute behaviors based on what you think. And most of the time, we are very, very wrong. And it's an obstacle to listening. Maybe it's somebody who needs a job Um, When you see somebody who needs a job, you immediately make some assumptions. Sometimes the assumption is, hey, they need my help. They need my help. They've been wronged. They're trying to find a job. They can't find one. Somebody needs to rescue them. That's a positive assumption. Only problem is that might not be right either. But you'll never know until you listen. Now, the negative side of it is we see somebody that's lost their job, and we go, well, wonder what they did. wonder what they did to lose their job because I haven't lost my job. Uh, I, I, wonder, I wonder what they did. I wonder if they're lazy. It's like you're just making assumptions. But those assumptions aren't based off of listening. Sometimes we don't hear because of prejudgment. Sometimes we don't listen because of reaction. By reaction, I mean quickness to react. One of the greatest lessons that my dad has taught me is son, learn to act, don't react. 
saved me a lot of pain. Son, act. Don't react. Can I tell you, there is no way to follow that principle if you don't listen first. Because if you're quick to speak, you will react every single time. And we live in a culture where certain words cause great emotion, don't they? Trump. Protesters. Immigration. Transgender. And I can go on and on and on. And when the words are just said or read, the emotion, I'm saying there's a place to land. There's a right place to land. But if you don't listen, even if you land in the right spot, you may never have the chance to accomplish your ultimate mission. Third word would be ambushing. Sometimes we don't listen because of ambushing. It's like, what does that mean? It means sometimes I'm listening to somebody not to understand them. Sometimes I'm listening to somebody to gather information against them. I'm not really listening. Let me give you one more. I call it conversational narcissism. It goes like this. I'm listening to you, but I wish you would really hurry up because I really love to hear me talk more than you. I'm only being kind for the opportunity to get to what I already know I want to say. So I'm not really listening to what you're saying. Uh, 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 Go. Because I love listening to me more. Proverbs 18.2. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Proverbs is just so pointed. I, I want to encourage you to stop and realize today. Stop and realize Jesus won. He won. He always wins. And if you have entrusted your life to him, you have asked him for forgiveness, and he's done it. And he has come to live in you, a miracle, a new birth. You now his sons and daughters, not because earned, but by grace through faith in his son. You understand because you have been grafted into him, you win. You win. So here's the statement I want us to make sure we understand. We don't need to simply win arguments. We want to introduce Jesus. We don't need to win all the arguments. We want to introduce Jesus. Now, some of us have been taught maybe something different our whole entire life because it's like, well, here's what the truth is, and, and, and this is about arguing, this is about debating, this is about making sure that we win the argument. And don't get me wrong, he is truth. But the question behind all that is, do you love? Because you can win the argument and not love. You can win the debate and not love. Please make sure you understand what I'm saying right now. This is not about compromise. Don't you compromise. 
When you read something from God's word that tells you what truth is, don't you compromise that truth. Don't do it. This is not about shallow tolerance. This is not about weakening the truth, but this is about finding a place to connect that truth. And if you don't ever listen and you don't ever love, you can walk away winning an argument, but you missed your greatest mission to introduce Jesus who answers all arguments. Listen for common ground. Second, listen for their story. Listen for their story. Jesus was always about knowing where people really were, knowing um, what their real circumstances. He, he's looking for a real solution. I think perfect, perfect story to grasp that is the, the story of the woman at the well. If you've never heard the woman at the well, you need to, you need to read that story. Um, um, you'll find it in John chapter 4, which I'm going to read a little piece of it here in a minute. This, this woman has an encounter with Jesus at a well one day, and it, this scenario should have been typically racially charged. Because she's a Samaritan, he's a Jew. And you don't think that's a big deal, but I'm telling you, it's as big a deal as you could possibly get. She's a Samaritan, he's a Jew, she's a she, he's a he. You put all that together, Jewish men didn't talk to Samaritan women. This, this was a racially charged moment, but Jesus simply breaks down all the barriers and he chooses to see her as a person and he asks a simple question, can you give me a drink? Can you give me a drink? They're at a well. And she is stunned. She is stunned by the fact that a man would ask her that question, much less a Jewish man would ask her that question as a Samaritan. And Jesus responds to her by saying, if you only knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. And this is how the story unfolds for a couple of, I'm going to give you a couple of verses. John chapter 4, verse 13, here's what he said, Jesus answered. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to Keep coming here to draw this water, all right? This is the day where they had to go get their water. Some of you, again, you've experienced this in places we've been in the world where there's, there's miles of hiking just to get to water. Verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right. You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And I gotta tell you, I cringe sometime when I hear people tell this story because it's almost like they get all excited that Jesus is calling her out on her sin. He got her. She thought she, she, thought she was in some conversation and the next thing Jesus just... I don't think that's what happens here at all. I think what Jesus just did is he took time 
to listen and speak in such a way that he could get a story. And where he lands is, lady, you keep going to the well of relationships, always trying to satisfy the emptiness inside of you. Only I can give you what you thirst for. But he'd have never got there if he didn't listen. It was about her story, connecting her story. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5 says, The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. That's a deep well. But one who has insight draws them out. Sometimes on a plane, you can draw it out. Sometimes at the coffee shop, you can, you can hear their story. It is amazing how people will talk to you. In case you haven't tried this in a while, people will tell you their story if you ask them. You know why? Because nobody ever listens. And if you do, you will be amazed at what people will actually tell you. I have found a key, though. A key to doing this, I think, in a way. Here's the key. Ask questions without questioning. This is not an interrogation. You are not looking for the list of all their sin. This is not about what you can drag out of them. Ask questions like this. So, tell me, tell me what happened in your life that would lead you to see God that way. That make sense? You're not questioning them in that moment. But you're asking a question that says, you just heard something from them that they see God in a certain way and you know that's not how God really is. But rather than just blast through the answer, it says, well, you quote a Bible verse and you tell them how God really is. There's time for that. But before you do, connect to their story. Connect to their story. Listen for common ground. Listen for their story. And then the last one is listen with your whole being. Listen with your whole being. What I mean by this is listen with more than your ears. Because behind every story, there is a human story. What I mean by that is, There's typically, in our culture, even in your personal lives, you know there are stories going on with people that are legal stories, okay? There are legal issues. Somebody did something, somebody did something. So somebody's right, somebody's wrong, somebody's done something to harm somebody, and there really is a legal story that goes on. It gets reported to us all the time on the news. We're hearing legal stories about what's happening, this happened and this happened. I'm saying be careful to slow down long enough to remember that yes, there is a legal story, but behind the legal story, there's a human story. And a whole bunch of people are hurt, even the ones who did the wrong. It's like, why'd they do that? What is the brokenness of such a heart? You see what I mean? Sometimes there's, there's tragedy that happens, 
We deal with it all the time. There'll be tragedies that occur. It leads us to go, why in the world did that happen? You know, and, and, and I'm saying we get caught up in the tragedy of the story, and sometimes we forget that behind the tragedy there is a human story, and somebody is broken. I don't mean just broken by doing wrong. I mean a heart that is broken. I've heard people um, admit to this happening with some of them in regards to Uplift. Um, Uplift is the ministry we connect to to the homeless. And every once in a while I get a new story of somebody who admits their prejudgment. It's like, Jeff, when you said homeless, here's what I think of, here's what I've always thought of. And then they tell me how God humbled them by what he allowed them to see, and it was a very different picture than what they always thought. Because they grabbed, you know, just what they had picked up, bits and pieces, and the few bad examples that they've seen of folks who acted like they were really in need, but they weren't, and you know, the guy on the corner who makes more money than you do, right? He holds the sign and he makes more money than you do. It's like, well, how do you know he makes more money? Well, it was a report on it, right? Somebody said it, and we just, we take that, and we draw assumptions to everybody across the planet who suddenly doesn't have a home, and it's like, well, we just back away. And God has a way of humbling us in those things. For some, um, I've heard the stories in the, in the area of, of the, the sex trafficking um, that, that, that we have um, put a lot of attention to in the Kansas City area, the restoration house that we as a church um, support. I have heard people admit out loud some of their pre judgmental statements about how those women got there. And the decisions that they made. Some pretty harsh stuff and God humbled. It's because we get so wrapped up in the outer story. You know what? Even if somebody did make some bad decisions, anybody still see there's brokenness? Even if somebody is doing something that God said don't do, and they just look at me and I go, no, I'm going to do it. And then after they do it, there are consequences, and we go, mm-hmm, I told you. Instead of there's brokenness. Anybody understanding what I'm saying today? There's a difference, isn't it? There's a difference in how you really slow down and how you listen. I want to wrap this up with um, something very powerful that I want you to see. Um, the lady who's doing the talking that you're about to, to hear, her name is Brene Brown. Um, she is a scholar, an author, a speaker. I've had the chance to actually hear her in person a couple of times, and she was just phenomenal. She is a research professor at the University of, of uh, Houston, Graduate College of Social Work, I think it is. And um, she says in a way um, that I think is so helpful to understand a part of listening that some of us have missed for a long time. And I think it helps to explain some things. I'll let you watch this and then we'll wrap it up. 
That's a wow for me. Because I think a lot of us really can put ourselves in those situations where we wanted to help somebody. It's like maybe what we actually ended up doing was causing greater disconnection. I'm going to say that there probably are a lot of us in this room who can think back through circumstances that maybe we didn't do that the right way. We felt like we had to fix it. We felt like, you know, we, ne- we needed to, to continually, you know, instead of just being with them, we had to constantly do the at least, at least, at least. And I, uh, I want you to know that Jesus really does forgive any of that that we may have done to somebody else. He really does. When we come before him like in this moment and go, wow, I'm learning something new about how to love. Forgive me for where I have hurt. He does. He does. And he really does want you to move forward from this moment with some wisdom. How do you get that? You ask him. You ask him. And he really does enable you to love like he loves. I say love like he loves because I also realize that in a crowd this size, there are some of you who feel like the person who dropped into the dark hole. And everybody that's been coming your way has been giving you at least statements or a sandwich. And you feel alone. You're not. Because today I'd like to introduce you to someone who gets it perfect every single time. And his name is Jesus. He really is with you. He really does love you. He really does hold answers. But he will not fly by to the answers without you knowing you are loved by him. So today, we're going to him together. We're going to spend some moments in, in worship and prayer and singing. And I pray that the songs that you're about to hear and sing will truly be songs that today reconnect your heart to one who really does love you. And that together, our cry becomes God. Let us be a people who live like we're loved. Which means for a lot of us, teach us to listen. God, that's our prayer today. Um, <laughs> you know, in my heart, just watching that little video, God, I think there are just so many times that we have great intentions. We do. We want to help people. Um, sometimes it's because our time is limited and and God, we, we know we got answers, and so we quickly move to those answers, and we're trying to, to come up with some circumstance, some perspective that pulls people out of the darkness. But God, we're reminded today, it's connection that does that. It's love that does that. It's you that does that. And so, God, I'm just simply asking today that, um, for one, for a lot of us who may have realized where we have really messed this up, maybe even with some people that 
God, we really do care about a lot. I'm asking that you'd help us to believe that there really is forgiveness and that you would help us to begin to take those steps the right way. It may even mean going back to, to that person, those people, and God approaching this now that we understand it differently. God, I'm asking you to help us to know, to believe that, God, you really do want to work through our lives. And it's going to mean that there are a lot of encounters with people, God, in the darkness. God, help us to slow down. God, help us to be slow to speak. Help us to be quick to listen. God, give us ears that can hear their story. God, give us patience to just wait when we need to wait. God, thank you for being this way with us. Thank you for always doing this perfect with us. We praise you. We thank you. And we love you. In this moment, we join our hearts together. God, may our voices communicate what our hearts truly feel. You are our God who has loved us like no other. So would you make us a people who live like we're loved by you. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray it today. Amen. We'll be over.